Today we're good. All right, my sermon title today is Faith in the Storm. Uh, yeah, I just decided to talk about faith as well this week because Pastor Ken is talking about faith. So I just wanted to build on, um, on what he was saying. And my sermon title is called Faith in the Storm. And we're going to be talking, the main passage is going to be about Mark 35 through 41. And I'm going to read, the, I'm going to read this passage out loud. And then please join. Please join along in reading it. All right. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across. Are you guys reading aloud? Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. Don't read aloud. I'm going to read out loud. You guys silently read along with me. <laughs> so on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took, took with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great, great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let me pray for us. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, um, as we uh, reflect on your words today, Lord, I pray that uh, this, these lessons can become tangible in our lives and just, just ways we can apply these stories and lessons and uh, let us just learn from these stories and um, just the best way we can apply these to our lives and let, let us uh, come here with open hearts and an open mind to learn. We pray all these things in your name. Just name I pray, amen. So, I mean, I'm going to recap the passage. The disciples had just been with Jesus, and they had seen Jesus do all these miracles. They saw Jesus, just right before this, they saw Jesus um, multiplying the breads and multiplying the fish to be able to feed the many thousands of people that were there. So the, so the disciples had just seen all these things, and yet when they enter onto this boat with Jesus, and the moment things start going wrong, they, their faith starts dwindling, and they start to question, right? So, you know, all throughout our lives, we encounter um, these type of things. We encounter storms in our lives, whether you want to call them obstacles or adversity, whatever. I'm going to call them storms. But there's nobody, nobody on this earth that doesn't, that doesn't encounter a storm in their lives. So some things that can be storms are things such as financial problems, fighting with your boyfriend or girlfriend, fighting with your spouse, maybe sickness, or um, just whatever, whatever, whatever adverse things that happen, they can be considered storms in our lives. And you know, a lot of times we get confused or we get angry and we ask, why, why God, why is this happening to me? And the worst part is, some of us can start to lose our faith in God, right? Our faith in God becomes weakened and we just really question if God is there or if, if God is even real. So, we find that these disciples start questioning Jesus, even though they had seen all these things happen previous. And it's kind of like us. We see the goodness of God. We've seen God answer our prayers. We've seen God do these things. But the moment, you know, something bad happens to us or, or some hardship comes up, we go, God, are you, are you really there? Or are you even real? Or like, God, why are you doing this to me? So we see that these storms enter our lives, and they can sometimes cause us to um, question God and question our faith. 
So what can we learn from this passage and how can we apply this to our lives? Well, before I get into that, I want to talk, I want to read what faith is, what, what, what the Bible says faith is. And the Bible says faith is the basic ingredient to begin a relationship with God. Faith is the insurance that the things revealed and promised in the word are true, even though unseen, and gives the believer a conviction that what he expects in faith will come to pass. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of the things not seen. So faith is knowing in the promise of God, even though we don't see these things, but faith is having the faith that, having to know all that, even though you don't see how these things will come to pass, you'll know eventually God will stay true to his word and bring, bring you the completion of that promise. So I got four points here, and my first point is, don't be like the disciples who have no faith. You know, in this, this verse right here, it says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And th- these are the words of the disciples to Jesus. The moment that water starts getting into the boat and the moment that the storm starts uh, creeping up on them. And you can almost hear, like, the reproach in their words when they're speaking to Jesus. Like, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Where you can even think that they might be whining, right? Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? You know, these are the words the disciples spoke to Jesus. They were, they were questioning him. They, they might have been fearing for their lives. Some, some might have been even angry with Jesus, right, for following him onto that boat and questioning him, like, we followed you here, but you're going to let us sink? You're going to let us uh, face harm? So they feared for their lives at that moment. And, you know, we could see that by the question that you could see this fear in their, um, and just... The, the fear that they had. And the, the, the thing Jesus is trying to say when he says this, he says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? What he's trying to get at is that faith and fear and faith are mutually exclusive things. Faith, fear, and faith are mutually exclusive. So what is mutually exclusive? It means being related such that each excludes or precludes the other. Mutually exclusive events or incompatible so what God is, what Jesus is saying is that if you have faith, you should have no fear. And if you have fear, that means you don't have faith. That's, that's a pretty extreme statement, but that's, what, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Saying, if you have faith in me, you should not have fear. And if you, if you do have faith in me, you'll know that I will keep my promises to you. So fear not is actually used 365 times throughout Scripture. So it's a phrase that is uh, used many, many times. And even if it was just used 100 times, it's very important because it comes up 100 times in the Bible. But the fact that it comes up 365 times is showing just how important that commandment or that theme, of, that theme is in Scripture. So fear not because God is with you, because God will take care of you, and God will bring you protection or bring you salvation or fulfill your promises, the promises that he has for you. So I got a question to ask us. You know, we're so quick to praise God, right, when things are going good for us. We go, God is great when, when things are going great for us. Maybe we get a promotion or we get, we get a raise or something, or something good happens to us. We go, yay, God. But how about when things suck for us, right, or when things aren't going so great for us or when some hardships arise? Why don't we also say, God is good at those times. I think it's because our faith in God is, is lacking. 
and something that we can improve on. And to be honest with you, I, I sometimes, I for sure have this type of faith as well. Sometimes my faith is uh, conditional. And these, the conditions that arise is just is, uh, mutually correlates to how strong my faith is. You know, for example, sometimes I'll say stuff like, you know, um, if something happened to my mom, God, I don't know. I don't know how I could continue to follow you. But that's not what faith is, right? Faith, that's not what faith, that's conditional faith. And God doesn't really want conditional faith. He wants that faith where even though you don't see the outcome, even in the storm, the outcome looks bleak, you know that he will keep that promise to you. That's what faith is all about. So if we view him as good only in the good times, then he's nothing more than like a Santa Claus God, right? Someone who's good when it's good, and when you're bad, your situation in life gets bad. And for me, I don't want a Santa Claus God. God is way more, way more than a Santa Claus God to me. So faith in God is real when we believe in the goodness of God in the bad and the good times. Matthew 13, 20 through 21 says, The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So this, this illustrates a man whose faith is very shallow. You know, at the hearing of God's words, immediately he springs up and his faith is supposedly strong. But when, when affliction or persecution arises, he immediately withers away because his faith isn't rooted in anything. It's a very shallow faith. And his faith, there's no foundation behind that faith. So point number two. You know, so why do these storms, storms arise in our lives? Well, sometimes we encounter storms. Sometimes we encounter storms in our lives because God is testing our faith and or punishing us. But before I get onto this point, I want to say, if a family member dies or, you know, you get, you, someone gets cancer, something bad happens to you, that's not, I'm not saying that's God testing your faith or punishing you. That's a tragedy, okay? That's, no, it really is. It's a tragedy, and it's not God testing your faith. But what I'm trying to say is, when these storms do come into our lives, take a moment and reflect, and just think of the possibility that maybe God is testing our faith and or punishing us. You know, one man who comes in, um, to mind when I think of God testing our faith is, uh, is Noah. You know, Noah, God told Noah, you know, you're the only righteous man on this earth at this moment, and through you, I will keep, um, I'll continue the human race. So God tells him to build this, uh, build this ark, and he tells him it's going to start, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. So Noah's building this ark, and I guarantee you, as he's building this ark, the people all around him are being like, Yo, you're so stupid, Noah. Why are you building this big old boat? We don't see anything. We don't see any rain clouds in the skies. We don't see any possible way it's going to be flooding. Like, you're crazy. Why are you building this boat? So Noah had to have this faith, right? And I, I said faith is um, knowing the promise that God has, even though you cannot see those things. And Noah has this faith because he, he can't see the rain clouds. He can't see that God is actually going to bring the storm and flood the earth. But he needs to have that faith and continue to build that boat. And Noah just showcases that faith. And Noah's a great example of a faith. And I believe, you guys can check fact check later, but I believe he's also in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. Uh, 
So 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, in this, you, in this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this verse is saying it's an honor. You should rejoice if your faith is tested. It says, even, for, even if for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So these storms come across into your lives. But think of it as a privilege for you to showcase your faith, to, to really show how strong your faith is. And 1 Peter 1, 6-7 is showing exactly that. He's saying that the proof of your faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable. Even though tested by fire, even though your, even though your faith has been through the fire and it's been tested, that's what they want. They want that, they want that faith that's been tested, that's been, um, that's been shown to be more precious than gold. So faith... He wants, if you are being tested in faith, think of it as an honor and a privilege to be tested. Because as Pastor Ken said, only true followers' faiths are being tested. So, he also punishes us, right? You guys might be saying, whoa, I don't want God to punish me. But if you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and in the future, you'll know that all throughout Scripture, God punishes God is a disciplinary parent, and that's a characteristic of God. That's something, that's something he cannot take away. He is a father, and he's a disciplinary father. So, you know, we can talk about the Israelites having to wander 40 years because of their disobedience, or we can talk about Jonah being punished for, um, for disobeying God and going to Tarshish instead of going to Assyria, and now he had to be swallowed up by the whale. There's many stories of God punishing the people that he loves. And I want to read Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Oh, yeah, it's super small, I'm sorry. But, I, but I'll read it to you guys out loud. And it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children? My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline, God is treating you as children, for what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we have human parents, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and life? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So just as I said, it's a privilege. It's an honor to, be test, to have your faith tested by God. And it's, you should take it as a privilege that God punishes you, because if he doesn't punish you, then just as this verse says, he doesn't consider you a child, right? You're an illegitimate child. And I, I'm sure not many of us are parents here, but the people who are, the, for the ones who are parents, you're not going to let your son or, or daughter just be a complete rude person, right? You're going to discipline them because you love them and you want to steer them in the right direction. 
And because God loves us as well so much, he's not going to leave us where we're at. But when we start to, um, to sin or do just live lives that aren't, aren't you know, in line with God, he's going to gently nudge us or violently nudge us in the direction that he wants us to go to. And it says right here, it always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. And it's true. When you are getting punished at the time, it is painful. But if you reflect on that punishment, you'll see the righteousness that God is um, training you to have. And I have a story for myself I can relate. I for sure have been punished by God. And um, at the time, I asked God, why, you know, why are you doing this to me? And a little background, um, you know, I was going to, uh, I was going to Biola and I signed the, signed this honor contract and I broke the honor contract and I ended up getting suspended for, for the year. And at that moment, I was like, God, did you bring me to Biola just for me to get suspended, for me to basically make a fool out of myself? But God was saying, no, the reason this happens is because you're not, you're not living a life that's pleasing to me. You're not, your life is not in line with what I have for you. And he basically punished me, he took me out. And now, reflecting on that time, it was definitely very painful for me. I was very, very ashamed, very sad, and, you know, I felt very, you know, felt pretty crappy. But now, reflecting back on it, it's probably the best thing that I'm not there anymore. Because now I get to go to Azusa Pacific University. Yeah, APU. And, um, yeah, I love it. I just got to meet so many cool people at APU. I get to um, see the professors, and I can. APU has helped me grow so much. And now I see the goodness that he had in store for me, even though he was punishing me at the time. So point number three. God can use these storms as an opportunity for us to turn to Jesus. You know, I mentioned at the previous point, the storm of our lives are also pointed by God for certain reasons. As I mentioned, it could be a punishment or it can be a test of your faith. But also, he uses these storms for you to reorient yourself towards Jesus. Sometimes when God brings these storms in our lives, we might have replaced God with something that, almost an idol, something that we turn to when... um, a problem arises. It could be, for example, it could be drinks, or it can be, it can be drugs, or it can be watching Netflix, whatever. But we don't turn to God. And God is saying, you know, sometimes I'll bring these storms in your lives as an opportunity to reorient your lives to me, to reorient your heart to Jesus. And I have a passage for you. It's so small again, I'm sorry. Jonah... What is it? Jonah 2, 1 through 10. All right, and this is exactly, I mean, Jonah had just, um, as I mentioned before, Jonah had just disobeyed God, went over to Tarshish, the complete opposite direction of Assyria, and he's, he's basically saying to God, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want to do what you're saying. So God brings a storm into his life. So Jonah is forced to examine, his, to examine himself and to basically reorient himself to Jesus. I mean, to re- reorient himself to God. So verse 1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths and to the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. To those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah was forced by this literal storm, right, to basically see that Jesus or God was the only way. So he reorients his heart, and he, he, he speaks this amazing prayer. Even when the things were looking so bleak for him, because of the situation, he had no choice but to turn to God. And sometimes those are the reasons storms come into our lives. It forces us to reorient our hearts and reorient our visions to God. And this uh, verse, Psalms 46, 1 through 10, sometimes, you know, in the storm, when we're in the midst of the storm, we forget that God is God. We forget that he's still the King of kings, the Lord of lords, sovereign over all, because the storm seems so crazy to us. And this, this passage just, just tells us, guys, got to be still. Even in, even in the midst of all this chaos, even in this destruction all around us, I am God. So Psalms 46, 1 through 10 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though, it, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her. At break of day. Dude, there's no way I can read that. Okay, sorry. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease. To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire, and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So even in the midst of our storms, even in the midst of chaos, hardships, guys, we got we to gotta be still and know that he is Lord, and that he is God, even in those times. So my last point, you know, Jesus calms a storm and restores us in it. So when we turn in faith to Jesus in the storm, he restores us in it. Verse 39 says, I'm sorry again. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. Just as Jesus is able to calm the storm here, he's able to calm the storms in our lives. Jesus can literally say, Peace be still and the chaos in our lives will disappear. We just need to turn to faith. We need to turn in faith and come to Jesus. And guys, when I say what, what makes God or what makes Jesus so great and so different from, for say, the other, say other religions of God, is that this Jesus, he doesn't watch us suffer in the storm, but rather he comes around us 
and he's inside that storm with us. And inside that storm, he's affirming us. He's saying, Eugene, or let's say, Joe, Joe, I still love you. I still remember you're my son. I have not forgotten about you. Through this, we'll get through this together. And whatever the storm broke off from you, whatever the storm damaged of you, in that storm, when you turn the faith into Jesus, Jesus starts restoring you and starts building you back up. And First um, Peter 5, 9 through 11 says, Resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So this verse says, standing firm in faith, and he himself will restore you and make you strong. Last time I preached, I said, God, um, God gives, I mean, Jesus gives meaning to our suffering. Why, why does he do that? It's because Jesus suffered, and Jesus knows what suffering is all about. He came as a, as a deity, as a God, right? And he came into probably the lowest, lowest class of people at the time, the Jewish people. And he became the lowest of the lows. He came as a God to a human being. And not only that, he had to endure the suffering for our sins. He was crucified. He was beaten. He was uh, humiliated. And just imagine, you're a God, and all these things ha are happening to you. So just imagine the humility he had, and just, just know how much suffering he had to endure. And I have a little clip for you that I believe um, kind of shows the affirmation or the restoration that God gives you or that Jesus gives you while in the storm. I'm just going to play that clip. Yeah, so just like that clip... You know, in the storm, God's reaffirming your identity, rebuilding you up, just showing you how precious you are to him. So I'm going to leave with a verse that um, kind of showcases for me what real faith is about. It's, it's Habakkuk 3, 16 through 18. And Habakkuk is a prophet who has worn, is foreseeing, is uh, foretelling the coming destruction brought on forth by the Babylonians. And he knows that Israel is going to be completely wiped out. And he's not even sure if his life is assured. So Habakkuk 3, 16 through 18 says, I heard, in, I heard in my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation, to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So let me close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, yeah, we just come hauling before you, Lord. A lot of us can definitely work on faith, Lord, and um, just, we just ask you to guide us in this journey, to strengthen our faith, to, sh to, to really stay, stay steadfast and reflect on the promise that you have for us. Even though we cannot see those things, just give us the faith that we can endure and we can see that promise come to be, the fulfillment of your promise, Lord. 
we just um, we just come home before you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.